Lord God, we uh, once again come before you and thank you for this time that we get to uh, read your word and hear from your word. And I pray, Lord God, that you would uh, just uh, speak to every heart in this room as I teach, that you would touch every person in the place that they're at in their lives, Lord God. We know your word is powerful and could do that. And so we pray for that this morning. We ask that you would bless our time as we read your word and as we expound upon its great truths. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, well, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke as we uh, continue to look at some stories related to the birth of Christ. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, a very, uh, I really like this section. Uh, it's about Mary. And the title of this morning's message is Mary's Christmas. We're really going to talk about what Christmas means to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to read verses 39 through 56. But before we do that, as we look at Christmas, and I want you to reflect upon something and maybe even ask yourself, what does Christmas mean to you in particular when the Christmas season comes around it? It conjures up a bunch of feelings and emotions and, and meaning. For you, does it you know, conjure up that feeling of happiness or joy? Or time of, hey, you know, I get to see some family that I don't always get to see. And that can be good or bad, depending on your family, I guess, or your perspective of that. <laughs> of office parties and uh, you know, ministry parties. We have a ton of ministry parties going on. It's, a, it's usually a time, not always, it's, it's a good time. It's a time to reflect on all the good things in life. And for the most part, you might tend to be a little nicer towards people. You know, I think Starbucks' is, marketing is, I think it's give good. Right? About giving good. And goodwill. Giving hope. Everybody's in that frame of mind for the most part during Christmas. Even us as Christians, right? We, we have those feelings of Christmas, of what it means. And we're always saying, hey, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season. But honestly, there's some other things that we think about when it comes to Christmas as well. And obviously, I do want us, each and every person in this room, to focus on the reason for the season. And I think as we look at Mary's story this morning, we're going to see what Christmas meant to Mary. And by extension, those same things that were so meaningful to her about that first Christmas can apply to our lives, and that's where we'll find our application. So let's start with what does Christmas mean for Mary, but before we get into the text, I want to do a little background and share two episodes that happened to Mary before this section that, that kind of give her that excitement. You'll, you'll help us understand a little bit more why Christmas is so meaningful for her. So So go back a few verses to verse 30 as we look at the background of what's going to happen in a few moments in this section of the text that we're going to read. You see, Mary was told that she was going to bear the Messiah. Look at verse 30 of chapter 1. The Messiah was going to be the Savior of the nation of Israel. This is a big thing. As you know, the nation of Israel in the first century, there was this buzz in the air. They were looking forward that something big was going to happen. And every Jewish woman was hoping to be the mother of the Messiah. That's why when we looked at our story a few weeks ago about Elizabeth, 
Now, she didn't get to be the mother of Messiah, but she was the mother of John, who got to announce the coming of the Messiah. And now we're actually going to look at the story of the woman who is going to be the mother of Jesus. And look at the announcement to her in verse 30. Uh, It came from the archangel Gabriel. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. These are some great titles given to Mary's son that's to be born. Now, it doesn't say Messiah, right? It doesn't say that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. But look at all those titles, again, that are given to her son. The first one to notice is that he will be called Jesus. And that the name of Jesus means that God is salvation. So that was the first inkling that something, besides an angel coming to speak to her, that she was going to be with child. And continue on and just look again at some of the other titles. He's going to be great. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. That right there tells her exactly who he is. David was promised that his throne will last forever, and he's the prophesied one to come. And not only that, he adds that he will reign over the house of Jacob, meaning Israel, and his kingdom will have no end. That's pretty specific. Hey, this guy is going to be better than any child that has ever come into the world. He's actually the Messiah. So again, before we get into our story, think of that. This is a plane in her head. She's going to have the Messiah. She's been chosen to have the Messiah. That's episode number one. Now we're going to get into our text. Go to verse 39 now. And here is another episode that happens that again plays in part to what Christmas means to her. So again, Elizabeth is pregnant with child, and Mary's told to go see her cousin Elizabeth by the angel, and when she gets there, Elizabeth sings similar praises to Mary that came from the angel, and it kind of is a confirmation that, hey, this is really happening. So let's read verses 39 through 45, and then we'll talk about those for a few moments. So now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look at what she says to Mary. Blessed are you among women. This is the first thing that Elizabeth says that confirms exactly what the angel had told Mary earlier. Again, blessed are you among women. Remember what the angel said? You have found favor with God. Elevating Mary's position here because of what she's about to do. This special thing that she's been chosen for. Look at verse, continue on the second part. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So Elizabeth pours out a blessing on the baby Jesus. And again, this kind of just reiterates of how special this child is going to be, just like the angel earlier, as I, as I read to you, pointed out to Mary how great this baby is going to be. 
There's titles that, that just mark that, hey, this baby's going to be special. And verse 43, and how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? You see here, Elizabeth recognizes who that baby is in, in Mary's womb. She calls him my Lord, her Savior. And again, that's what the baby's angels or the baby's name means that was given to him by the angel. Again, he was going to bring salvation to all people, specifically here to the nation of Israel. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we move on. So here's these things that Elizabeth is saying to Mary, again, that confirm what the angel had told her earlier. If for some reason she wasn't believing what the angel said. Let's read on. Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy, meaning John. John in Elizabeth's womb. He leaps for joy. And blessed is she, and this is, this is a great one. I love this one. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. You see what the blessing is? The blessing is on Mary because of why? Because she believed that God's word would come to pass. That's going to be a theme as we go through the text this morning, that believing on God's word is the blessing. Believing that God's going to do what he says is the blessing. And it's because of this belief that Mary had in the words of God that she's going to sing this outburst of what we're going to look at in a few moments. Now just think of this for a moment. I mean, we read through it so easily like it's just something that's normal. But here Mary is, a teenage girl. You know the story? She's never had physical relations with a man, and yet she's going to have a baby. Think of how much faith Mary had to have that she was going to have a child without having sexual intercourse. Most of us would be like, yeah, right. And Mary was probably the same, but Mary is blessed because she believes God's word. Again, we gloss over that like it's just, oh yeah, it's just normal. We would all believe it too. No, we wouldn't. And I think, again, in verse 45, that's why Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. She's blessed because she believes on God's word. And so she's going to sing this great praise as, we look into, as we're going to look at now in verses 46 through 56. And this is known as the Magnificat, Mary's Magnificat. And it's taken, that word is taken from uh, the Latin Vulgate version of the Bible, which is a 4th century translation in Latin of the Bible. And it's the first word of this section, meaning to, um, to enlarge or magnify. So that's where they get that name. If your Bible has like little subtitles, it says the Magnificat. That's what it's, it's the Latin word for enlarge or magnify. And it's because of all this that I've just spoken about, this background, all these things that have been said to Mary, that this outburst of praise now comes forth. And so let's read this entire section, and then we'll come back, and I'll point out a few specific things of what Christmas means to Mary. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. Or some translations might say magnify the Lord. My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. 
For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. How many of you singing that Chris Tomlin song right now? My soul, my soul, yeah. Man, I'm not going to do it, don't worry. <laughs> Again, well, the, it's nice when a worship leader gets words from the Bible. It's awesome. So anyways, it's for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So she's praising God again for all that he's done. Carrying on in verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud, and in the thoughts of their heart, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So there we have the account of Mary's stay with her cousin Elizabeth. She bursts out in these praises and then goes home. Now let's go back down, or back to verse 46, and look at these praises. And it's in these praises that she sings as we'll, we'll hear the heart of Mary of what Christmas means to her and what is Mary's Christmas. So let's look at this. In verse 47 again. So... Christmas has such a special meaning to Mary. And when I say Christmas, hopefully you understand I'm talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. It gives her reason to praise God. She praises God because first, look at verse 47. God, she, it says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Again, it's not so much that she's having a child, but it's who the child is. He's her Savior, my God, my Savior, God has come down to save her specifically, and by extension, as we'll see in a few moments, her people and the entire world. That's the great gift that she has, that salvation has finally come. And so she sings a song rejoicing in that. So Mary's Christmas, it gives her reason to worship the Lord. Secondly, in verse 48, God has richly favored her. So for her, Christmas just is a time to remember how much God has blessed her, that God has favored her. Look at verse 48 again. For he has regard the humble state of his bond slave. That God would come down to any human being is amazing. But specifically, first century, here's a woman who's not affluent, who's not of great social status, and he comes to speak to her, a young teenager a woman who lives in the remotest part of the Middle East, that God, the creator of the entire universe, sees her and speaks to her and gives her an amazing gift to give to the entire world. And so that's why she says he's regarded, he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. And for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. And we do, right? We look at Mary as somebody that, that's a, a, as a great example of faith to the Christian church, Christian church. And we all count her blessed by God. So God has richly favored her. And just as a point of application, I don't want to leave here without pointing this out, is again, God 
comes to the humble. God usually chooses the humble things of this world to confound the wise, doesn't he? I'd like to share with you 1 Corinthians 26, verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Look at that with me for a second here. Mary is a great example of this. As, as Paul was speaking to the church at Corinth, he was reminding them, he says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many of you wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble. So he's kind of saying, hey, you guys aren't, weren't the greatest thing in the world. That's not why God chose you. And remember, God didn't choose the nation of Israel because they were the greatest kingdom in the world. God didn't choose Mary because she was the greatest woman in the world. Look at verse 7. gives us the reason why God chooses those, these things. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. These things that are not so that he may not nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Why? Because, look at verse 31, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose the foolish things of this world, which we are all, can say, that's me. I wasn't the smartest, the greatest. God didn't choose me because I was going to do some great things for him. No, God chose us so he can confound everybody like, wow, God must be great that he's using him (laughs) or Robert or whoever else. And, and he's reminded me that, hey, don't boast that, hey, you know, that you have done some things for me, but boast in God. And so that's just an example of what Mary is talking about in our story this morning. God has had regard for her and chose the humble things. And so she's excited about that. And so Christmas is a reminder for her that God does those types of things. Moving on, look at verse 49 now. He says, for the mighty one has, de- has done Great things for me. Again, she's focusing on herself right here. She's remembering that God has chosen her, not because she's great, but to do something great for him. To raise the Son of God. To teach him the Holy Scriptures. Not that he didn't already know that, but he took the form of a, of a human being and did the same things that humans did. So she has a great task. She's to bring up the Son of God. And she recognizes that He has done great things for me. He's chosen me. He's chosen me for a certain task. And so that's what Christmas means to her. Now, going on from verses 50 on, she now takes the focus off herself and looks at the, a, a greater uh, purpose for Christmas. Look at verse 50. And His mercy is upon generation after generations towards those who fear him. God's mercy is not just for her, she's recognizing, that God's mercy is for all people who fear him. And that word fear, a great definition is this. It means to cherish, reverence, and respect him. Not to be afraid, like he's this mean and evil person, but to have a reverence and respect for him. 
and to honor him lovingly by avoiding what is contrary to his will and by striving after what pleases him. Someone that reverences, is afraid of God is reverencing him, holds him in high regard and would hate to disappoint him. That's what it means to fear God. So she's saying God's mercy is extended to people who reverence him. God's mercy is for all people. And then in verses, the rest of 51 through 55, she talks about how God works on behalf of his people. And she reflects on the Old Testament scriptures, which she probably very well knew. And and was reminded of all the things that God did in the past and how he will do those for his people in the future. So look at verse 51. It says, He has done mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. So God has done mighty things, and now she's going to say what these mighty things are. And as I just read, the first one was, is he scatters the proud. Over and over in Old Testament scriptures and in the New, we're told that God humbles those who are prideful. God scatters the proud. In God's economy, the people that are boastful and full of pride, he shuns them. Why? Because they demonstrate they don't, they're like, I don't need God. I, I could do my own thing, my own way on my own time, and I don't need God's help. Instead, in God's economy, it says this, he scatters those who are proud in their thoughts and their hearts, and he has brought down rulers from their thrones, again, speaking of the proud, and he exalts those who are humble. Here's a perfect example in our story this morning. Mary, who's humble, from humble beginnings, God sees that and exalts her, not to magnify her, but to magnify his name, just like I read in 1 Corinthians. God exalts the humble, those who recognize their need for him, that depend on him, who trust in him. God will exalt them. Again, not for their glory, but for his own glory. He continues on, or she continues on in verse 53. And he has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Again, demonstrating the, the difference between a humble spirit and a prideful spirit. So those who are hungry recognize their need and they come to God and God fills them. Those who are rich, they go away empty-handed because they don't think they need anything from God. And God turns them away. So here again, she's magnifying God because all of the great works that he does, he raises up those who trust in him and he humbles those who do not trust in him. And moving on now to the, to the very end of verse 54. And he has given help to Israel, his servants, in remembrance of his mercy. She's again just acknowledging God has given help to us, Israel, in the past and now by giving us a Savior. Why? In remembrance of his mercy, because of his word. Again, going back to Mary's blessed because she trusts in God's word. And she sees that God is fulfilling his word in remembrance of his mercy. And in verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, again, referencing back to God's word, to Abraham and his descendants forever. So that's what Christmas means to Mary. Let let me just say these five things because they didn't come out on the on the screen here, if you're taking notes, for the meaning of Mary's Christmas, actually just four things, that number one, well, five, it gives her reasons to worship the Lord. When she thinks of Christmas, she bursts out in worship. Secondly, God has richly favored her. That's what it means to her. It's a reminder to her 
of what God has done for her. He's favored her. Thirdly, she's reminded that God has done a great work in her life. Fourthly, that God's mercy is for all those who fear him. So it's not just her, but she's reminded that God's going to save all of her people who trust him. And fifthly, it's a reminder of how God works among his people. That's all these things are tied up into what Christmas means to her. Again, in God's economy, he's more concerned, as we saw in verses 51 through 55, about the eternal welfare of Israel, not the temporal welfare. Again, as you look at these verses in 51 through 55, they're, they're not to be taken so much literal that every time somebody's hungry, God feeds them. That every time somebody's humble, God exalts them. Or every time somebody's prideful, that God humbles them. They're just an idea of what God does eventually in the long term. Because we can all think of people, hey, that person's very prideful. And look, God never humbles them. As a matter of fact, they continue to, to move upward in our society. When is God going to deal with that person? When is justice going to finally come? And guess what? We as believers, don't look, we shouldn't look for justice in this world. It's in the next one that comes. Those who look for justice in this world are those who are only living for this world. And so that's all they can hope for. And God, again, God, and I say that because I want us to understand that God is not concerned so much with our temporal well-being, but he's looking at our eternal well-being. That's what God is doing. That's what God carries us on for. And I'll talk about that more in a, in a few moments. So for an application as we close, I want to just point out a few things. So we saw what the meaning of Christmas means for Mary and what Mary's Christmas was. But again, those same things, as I was sharing, with it, sharing them with you, I hope you could see how they also apply to each and every one of us this morning. Or they can. And I think they should. So what's the meaning of Christmas number one? It's a time to magnify and rejoice in the Lord our Savior. I mean, I'm, I'm in, I love Christmas and all the things about it. Now you guys probably are tired of hearing about it, all the things I share about it. And, and again, I say that because sometimes we can forget it's about what we're talking about today. We should magnify and rejoice that the Lord has sent His Savior to the world. We should rejoice for the birth of our Savior. We should rejoice for the gift of salvation. And we, serve, we should rejoice because you know what else this means? That God kept his promise. God said he would do this and he did it. Now we live on the backside of that promise. But think of again, as I had mentioned, Mary was blessed because she believed in the word of God. And I hope all of us this morning believe in the things that are written in this Bible. The very words of God. Do you believe them? Do you look forward to them? Do you trust them? Because, again, that's what Christmas should mean to us. We rejoice and magnify in the Lord our Savior because He has come, and that shows that God keeps His promises. Secondly, the meaning of Christmas should be a time to remember how God has altered our lives. Now, this obviously is meant for each and every one of us who is a believer in Christ. Because I know there's some in this room that probably do not believe in Christ. And so they cannot say that Christ has altered their lives. Meaning there was a time I didn't live for Christ. He came in and he transformed my life and now I live totally different. Christmas should be a time where we reflect upon that. If you're his, 
I mean, think about it. As, as you sit there even now, think about how you used to live and who, what you used to live for and how maybe you didn't think twice about God. And now that you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, He has totally transformed your life and altered it and maybe even shook it up and changed it. It's totally different. You know, last night I saw that for the first time, The Case for Christ. I would encourage, that's a great, who's seen it besides me? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. I was like, <clears throat> you know, I was like trying not to look at my wife. I was laying on the couch just like, I'm not going to let her see it. It's, it was good. It was really good. But, but I bring it up because the, the wife of the journalist who eventually becomes a believer, sorry to give away the, the story, but her life was totally altered when God came into her life, so much so that her husband wanted to leave her. Like, you're not, the, you're not the woman I married. You're different. Just because she gave her life to Christ. That's an altered life. And, you know, we don't see all the things that went on because it's a movie. But, you know, it didn't look like it was altered that much. But it was altered in such a way that the husband recognized that, you know what? I recognize that, that you're different. And that, you know, you, and even though I didn't like you and didn't want to be with you, you still loved me. Like, you stayed with me. And that was part of the testimony of why... She, he came to the Lord because he, he not only saw the evidence of it, but he saw the transformed life in it. And so Christmas should remind us of how God has come in and altered our life, altered our thinking, our perspective, our outlook on things. Thirdly, the meaning of Christmas should be a time that we remember how he regarded our cry for help and saved us. And I'm ta- speaking in relation to salvation. Think of that. God didn't have to give us salvation. There's nothing that says He has to give every person salvation. There's a condition that you must come to Him. You must humble yourself and He will give it to you. And He heard each and every one of our cries, those of us that are saved, and came into our life. And again, this cry, again, reflects how God is faithful to keep His promises that those who call upon the Lord will be saved. And He will continue to hear and intervene because of this. Now, does that mean God's going to get us out of everything? God's going to heal us of every sickness and disease? No. Again, I want you to remember, God's not so concerned about the temporal happiness of our lives. It's the eternal. And if you're looking so much on the temporal, then you're not looking at things the way God looks at things. And unfortunately, there are many who preach a false gospel that it's all about the here and now. You're going to have the best day ever, <laughs> or the best life ever. Did anybody say that to the Apostle Paul when he was being stoned and thrown outside and, and beaten? No. <laughs> if they did, it wouldn't have been the gospel. And unfortunately, we as a Christian church have done a, a horrible job at portraying and proclaiming that message. You know, because we want everyone to like us and to, hey, Christianity's cool and it's easy and it's fun. But guess what? If you're doing it right, it's not. It's not. Christ promises persecution and tribulation. And many will fall away because they don't like to deal with that. And unfortunately, we see casualties even here within Renaissance Christian Church that those who followed after God at one time when it got too hard, they just said, this, this isn't for me. That's going to happen until the return of Christ. 
So what's the meaning of Christmas? Again, it's a time to magnify and rejoice in the Lord our Savior, a time to remember how He's altered our lives, a time to remember how He has regarded our cry for help, and it's a time to remember the great work God has done in our lives. Think of the great work that God has done in you. And again, I'm speaking of a spiritual work, not so much a temporal. Think of this. God has forgiven you of every sin you've ever committed and every sin you will ever commit. That's a great work. He's forgiven you. And not only that, He has given you eternal life. Each and every one of you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is going to live for all eternity with Him. Those are two great works that a non-believer cannot say they get because a non-believer will die in their sins and will spend all eternity away from Christ suffering for their choice not to believe in Him. They choose temporal happiness instead of eternal happiness. Think of that great work that God has done for you as you look at Christmas this year. God's forgiven me of all the evil I've done. Maybe some people won't forgive you, but God has forgiven you if you've asked for it. And He's given you eternal life. How awesome is that? The next one, what Christmas should mean for us. It's a time to proclaim that God's salvation is available for all people who will believe on Him. Christmas, again, the reason it's, you know, everyone talks about it's, it's joyful and it's good tidings and glad tidings, well, they get that from the gospel. When the angel said, hey, joy, there's great joy is here. A Savior's been born in the city of David and peace to all men, but that peace only comes to all men who trust in Christ. And that's, a, that's the message that we have to proclaim to the world. It's a time to proclaim God's salvation is available to all men. That's what Mary did, right? She said, and His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. And that same message is still true today. We can proclaim it. We can share it. And maybe you can't do it yourself, and that's fine. Then just, like I said, just tell somebody to come to church. You know, they'll hear it. They'll hear that message proclaimed. And this goes for all people. The interesting thing here is that if you're reading this, it's like, well, this is just for Mary and the Jewish nation. That's who she's talking about, right? Especially if you look at verse 55, it says, As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. She's talking about Israel. But guess what? In the New Testament, I love this verse. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25, Paul shows how this includes every believing person. Look at this. Actually, I think it's verse 25. Yes. 26. Galatians 3, 26. It says this. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So it's not just Jewish people are the sons of God. It's all people. Look at verse 27. For all of you who, who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, right? There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Jesus, then look at this, then you are Abraham's descendants. Meaning, hey, you don't have to be Jewish to be a descendant of Abraham, your descendants because you belong to Christ, and it continues on, heirs according to the promise. All the promises of the Old Testament, 
that were promised to the nation of Israel are fulfilled in Christ Jesus and extended to the Christian church, both Jew and Gentile. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's why I say here that it's extended to all generations, not just the nation of Israel, but to all people who believe. And that's the message that we get to proclaim. Christmas is a worldwide celebration offered to all people. It's not just one culture. It's offered to all people. Lastly, Christmas is a, t- is a time to remind ourselves how God works among His children. Again, God works for our eternal good. Now, we may be blessed in the temporal, but ultimately God is working for our eternal good. Again, too many times we focus on the now instead of the not yet. We want everything now. We want heaven on earth now. And I'm not saying God can't do that, but that's not what He's promised to all of us. He's promised in the future so much for every one of His believers. And guess what? Some of us may experience that now, our blessings from Christ in a temporal fashion. And so I want to close with this on this God working in the now. So God did work in the now in the sense that he brought Jesus, his son, to the world. But as we look at the birth of Christ, what we need to look at is beyond that, and even more importantly is the, the, than the birth of Christ, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Because that assured and worked our salvation of this promise of the coming of the Messiah. See, it wasn't that Jesus just came to the world. He came for a purpose. He came to die on the cross for our sins and to rise again in newness of life so that we too who believe on him will have eternal life. So when you think of Christmas and you look at Christmas, behind Christmas you should see the cross and the resurrection because that's what God is working towards. Again, the death and burial resurrection is the true hope. We can't just stop with the little baby in the manger. We need to look at the cross. And that's where our true hope and our true joy should come from. Because again, it's in that working of salvation through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ that our, forgive, our sins forgiven and that we have eternal life. So this feeling of Christmas joy will be an eternal reality when Christ returns. So like I always say, or I've, I've shared over and over again about Christmas, you know, it's, a, it's, a great, you know, it's this great feeling that we have, times of joy and happiness and singing. But guess what? That's going to last forever when Christ returns and establishes the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be Christmas every day. Not like we see it here, so don't be like, oh, well, that doesn't sound like fun. It's not going to be like Whoville, you know, it's not that. <laughs> It's going to be so much more than we can imagine. We can't even begin to think about it or understand it. And we get little glimpses of it in the scripture. But that's what we look forward to. And I hope you look forward to that at this Christmas. Again, as you think of Christmas, think of, yes, there's Christmas. But there's also that eternal, that eternal Christmas that we will experience when Christ comes again the second time. There are great things in store for each and every one of us who believe. Therefore, we should, like Mary, burst out in praise and let our soul magnify the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for this time we've had in your word.
And I pray, Lord God, that your truth was made clear to each and every person this morning. Lord God, there is so much meaning in Christmas. And Lord God, I, I pray that each and every person in this room will truly experience it. As I've just described. That each and every person in this room would give their lives to Christ. That they would not let their pride keep them from surrendering themselves to Him. And Lord God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who has not done that, I pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would open their eyes and their ears, and they might hear what you are saying to them, that they might believe on you and come to know you, not just as the baby in the manger, but as the Lord God, the creator of the universe. And they might put their faith and hope in you. And Lord, for the rest of us who have already done that, I pray that we would remember all these things that we've talked about this morning as during this time of the year, we would remember those things. And Lord God, we would shout your praises even more joyfully, that we would sing those Christmas carols that talk about you even more boldly, that we, like Mary, will be blessed because we believe your word, that you're going to fulfill it. And we thank you for all that you've given us. We thank you for altering our lives. And we thank you for helping us to live for you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.